all rights were given before this podcast production. And all rights were granted before this podcast production. All rights that were not granted are simply rewritten to avoid plagiarism. The following is a monologue, well, really for the most part. If you've ever wanted to take a trip to Los Angeles, California in order to see an MMA fight or UFC fight, something you wouldn't want your wife to know about, or all of those activities all at the same time, everyone knows that you would simply look all those things up on your phone all at once, or in the event that you haven't been broke for the past couple of years because of the governmental shutdowns, followed by more governmental shutdowns, followed by more governmental shutdowns after that, you could in the off chance that you actually wanted to go to LA for reasons not known to many people, besides getting rejected by 90% of people on American Idol tryouts, you could fly to LA by airplane and land in the city in a matter of hours. Of course, the first thing you would end up finding is a large airport that takes five hours just to find your luggage while you take two hours simply to find a cab that will drive you to another place that you can use to get fast food and perhaps another cab while traveling to a decent long while before you come up to a number of gambling casinos followed by the Hollywood sign and the large obnoxious building with Baal followed by other Canaanite deities that have engravings underneath them in complete English that most people interpret as look at most of the darkest cultural practices in the whole wide world that are all religiously inclined but we aren't religious at all which is why we have money like the Scientologists that aren't religious either I think I don't really know because I have too much money and not enough books about history that matter unquote in all capital letters that of course follow an emoji or two at the end because everyone knows that every king in every Assyrian kingdom that really enjoyed ruling also enjoyed carving a kissy emoji into every single stone engraving every time he did what Hollywood does all the time just without historical war general capability and all of the capability and understanding of how to make a feature-length film that has some sort of scenario where half of the staff have to admit in a courtroom that the director was acting like a complete Assyrian Canaanite general with all of his perversions but didn't have any of the war general capabilities but only had the on, only other characteristics that made parents in high school want that history kept out of the history books until they were a bit older I'm kinda getting off track here oh yes now you're walking down to the streets of LA and see a homeless man on the side corner clearly struggling of course your first idea is to give him food and water right or perhaps provide a little bit of spare change in the hopes that he uses it for something other than the heroin he's been using for the past years but no you decide that the best possible thing to do is ignoring all those things but you decide that the best possible scenario would be showing your nose rings off all day long why tearing down every worst aspect of the city that could possibly be in existence which is in fact the sign that says holy and soul saving statements like Jesus loves you and repent for the kingdom of God is near and God so loved the world and Christ died for your sins so that he could save your soul which to some people translates we want to burn down the entire world hashtag far right and of course ends up to you being interpreted as a rather illegal sign at least when you're trying to translate the ancient Aramaic phrase that you saw in the Hollywood Film Festival building using zero knowledge and expertise or writing on an old Sam's Club Pepsi cup 
with a permanent marker in which the translation ends up translating from Gamesh gave us his victory, which Gamesh gave us his victory, to forget about religion, I heard they were opening up a Trader Joe's across the street. Which, of course, according to your standards, means no undocumented immigrant is illegal. Which also means that any signs that go up in a public community that have anything to do with Jesus or any other faith would thereby endanger everyone by stuffing the idea down everyone's throats that there is an afterlife so that this faith matters and that this life matters and there's a higher power so this life matters that there's absolute good and evil so this life matters which is why we should tear down every illegal billboard paper that says life matters making a life worth living not worthwhile anymore which helps our nonprofit organization help people see that when life gets hard we should just act like life isn't worth living. Or at least that's how we interpret it. And did we mention that we call ourselves a gang? Don't really know where we got that from. It was just from someone else. And we're not a gang like any of those other gangs. We're just a gang that wears too many crop tops and makes people depressed all the time by illegally moving signs that give people joy and purpose, which could have been another good name for our organization if it wasn't such a damn long sentence." Unquote. Many people have also come forward in a huge compilation video entitled, What We Do for the People is to Allow the Community to Thrive, which, as you can guess, is vastly different from the title before, which they scrapped it earlier because they realized that it wouldn't have worked out. This compilation has consisted from about 100 people all coming together in support for the organization of the nonprofit atheist pirates gang, similar to every other religious community all the way back in the first couple centuries of history that of course would have believed the exact same thing if they weren't so busy building cigarettes and everything else that would later inspire every form of livable building circumstances with a roof over it which is definitely what most atheists would do if you gave them a full set of tools in the middle of the middle east and told them to build a city with zero religious structure all of these individuals of course were recorded on the film festival release of the commercial that aired in between the old Pumpy Monkey Baby commercial from the from the Super Bowl and the classic Little Caesars Pizza commercials that people keep seeing because they won't stop making commercials for some reason and simply give us a break from pizza already. These pizza these people were totally not on film, saying these statements against their will, or at the very least not being offered money to the near same quantity of the Church of Scientology that gives money out to people remain quiet all the time, said statements like, I'm so happy the heroes of the Atheist Pirates gang removed that dreaded Jesus loves you sign that took up the entire bridge. If they had not removed it, I might have done something like built a building from scratch in order to push our culture forward. Or others like, quote, thank you so much for changing my mind about blessings and being blessed. Because of this, I haven't thought about blessings for a decent amount of time which of course makes my family structure and parenting capabilities extravagantly better than ever because nothing matters since I'm not blessed in the slightest way. If you had not torn down everything that said blessed in the name of the Lord, I might have decided them that morals were a thing. Unquote. Or a classic response in the compilation like, quote, why would it matter if you follow any religion? It's not like you can go to a Hindu temple if you're a Hindu or a mosque if you're a Muslim and feel the presence of God through your practices, or it's not like you can go to any Catholic church and confess your sins to a priest while he helps you become closer to the Lord, or anything like that. At least, 
That's what I think now that all my money is gone and I have nowhere to stay, which makes me far happier than I was beforehand and far happier than these illegal billboard teardown people thoroughly and thankfully removing my easier ability to find peace. Unquote. Well, actually, if you haven't already noticed, the commercial actually didn't happen, but unfortunately there is a such thing as the Atheist Pirates Gang, and it is in fact true that they are removing every single religious billboard that brings people to faith, which of course we can only hope they come to Christ, or at least come to know what they believe about God that has to do with real religiosity, hopefully avoiding the absolute mess that nihilism is. I'm Jonathan Nassart, this is the Cold Exclusive Podcast. Enjoy great taste and great flavors like deep roast and dark roast. And if you try their coffee, you'll be able to keep your conservatism and coffee together. So there was a time when religiosity was still decently abrupt, but was still completely centered. Of course, it is not at all centered today. There is a time in America's history when the entire nation stood united at the very least fact that religion was essential to forming not only a community by morals and standards, but also by shaping an entire nation together, with at the very least a globalized recognition that there was a God who not only loved us, at least from a Christian Catholic perspective, but created us for his purpose, and thus the whole wide world was paved on the thinking that there was some God at least controlling outcomes and the very nature of reality at least from the standpoint of deism of the Founding Fathers, and in multiple other kingdoms, the standpoint of deities that they served. And of course, all of these deities lining on certain ethical and governmental conclusions. Well, unlike the Assyrian Empire that dominated the entire borderlines of modern-day Iraq, Syria, Turkey, Kuwait, and Iran for nearly 600 years, or the Roman Empire that relied on their brutal military to control nearly all the entirety of Western Europe, Greece, the Middle East, the Balkans, and Northern Africa, underlining in their principles of Roman government through Hellenism religion and mystery religions, or also unlike the Egyptians who through their cultural practices and magic rituals, ended up discovering a large amount of modern-day medicine. 
and really just the list goes on and on from there. This past Thursday evening in the region of Los Angeles, California, as mentioned before, a group by the somewhat random name of the Atheist Pirates Gang, which I'm not exactly sure where they get pirates from, perhaps they just really like baseball more than God or something, but this week there was a literal whole day in which these guys and gals devoted to the whole factor of trying to strip the entire town, at least as much as they could of the entire town, of religious icons from paper stickers to paper postings and billboards that literally had a multitude of extremely uplifting and positive messages on them, most of them Christian and in fact Judaic, such as Jesus saves being one of them and Jesus the way, the truth, and the life being another one of the religious signs. So this group is op openly stating to be a non-profit organization that, quote, seeks to make their city more secular by pushing for the separation of government and religion. Now, of course, honestly, to say, uh, state this clearly here, secular, secularism and making a city more secular, of course, will not openly be a undeniably possible uh, or positive factor here. It, it's not a good factor to rely on because literally the entirety of the court system itself was relied on on religiosity. And every governmental system, as we mentioned earlier beforehand in the literal paragraph before this one, all of them relied on religiosity in order to function and in order to figure out and determine what the best ethical conclusion was. Now, when this group first started in 2021, and that's, of course, when it completely got off the ground, unfortunately, after, after an apparent joke emerged from one of the members stating that would, it would be a somewhat funny idea if they could be pirates, in a way, and parade around removing what they call religious marooned rubbish from the public eye, which, of course, is a very respectable way to call something when you're trying to spread a different message around a community, I would think it 100% would never openly work in any other community. Like really, LA is one of the only places where you could walk around. And, and really, unfortunately, multiple states are doing this now too, where you could really just walk around calling everything religious marooned rubbish. And everyone would look at you like saying, oh, hey, yeah, that, that, that's a great way to look at everyone's faith. That's a great way to look at people's understanding of how the world works. Because generally, people today view the world working as just a complete randomized, unreligious, and complete destructured structure in a way. It really makes no sense that complete randomosity happens for the world to work as the world works. Now, from the last episode of my show on Wednesday, I made the approach and attempted argument that the aspects associated with the occult are simply evil versus particularly religious. Why well, I made the argue for Christian Catholicism to be more than religious and more as a relationship to all-knowing good. And we discussed a bit on the First Amendment and an interpretation of it to push more for that argument. But this viewpoint that the atheists have just doesn't make any sense because how can you guys form a structured group that literally mirrors the governmental system of restraint yet not be religious? When every single group of people that formed in a government or an overpowering rule for hundreds of hundreds of years was religious the whole entire time. 
Also, just another tough question. How can you guys prove that separating government from religiosity is true when you don't believe in absolute truth? And I've mentioned that before as well. If you're answering to a person in charge of a group who is human, who's to say that any other human should be in authority over you and over everyone else in that sense? In this way, people still become a religious group even if they are atheists. It's just that the difference is that they're following a religion of environmental power versus a religion of a higher godly authority. It's honestly astonishing to me how the world can go from every ruling empire has their gods to the spread of Christianity and Catholicism to everything religious gets you into heaven with coexist to let's just forget about religion altogether. Because you know, why not, right? It's not like anything matters, right? It, it's just a complete downward spiral. Also, another important aspect here to know is how people actually end up regaining a mental sense of reassurance and the ability to stand back on their feet when it comes to religiosity. This idea that religion allows people to open their hearts more and see the error of their ways, both from a godly perspective and a human perspective. And it allows them to get out of mental tragedy and heartbreaking tragedy and mental breakdowns after drug abuse and other worse scenarios, which of course is a huge problem in LA. And in fact, the matter of, of fact is in LA, 41,980 were homeless within the whole entire community, while in California as a whole, the state of California actually is currently 30% of the people that are homeless in the entirety of the United States as a whole, as a whole, the whole state of California is 30% of the homeless population. And in, and in LA, it went up 18% this past year. Just imagine, of course, now that a multitude of those homeless individuals end up gaining the ability to go to a counselor, you know, say for a therapy session or things of that sort. And they're all walking in there one by one, and a therapist tells them, well, okay, so it appears that you've abused drugs, and you've had a broken home, you've had homelessness for about a year. Oh, okay, so you have homelessness for 10 years. And of course, then they go on to openly state uh, their form of problem solving for this issue. And of course, the therapist, and I actually have a number of therapists in my family, family that, in my extended family, that work in therapy, and absolutely none of them would say this statement to someone that they were attempting to help, attempting to save, and, a, and who they were attempting to apply good mental strategies for. You know, j just imagine that a therapist, after hearing someone's terrible, heartbreaking story from the homeless population in California, imagine that they respond by saying, oh, oh wow, okay, so uh, just letting you know this conversation isn't meaningful at all, and you're not meaningful at all, at all, and I'm not meaningful at all. And, you know, I, I hope you can get over this, but yeah, it, it, it's been a pretty good day today, uh, time to go home. You know, j just imagine that that's therapy for the homeless population because that's really, honestly, an atheist take on counseling in general. And it's just astonishing, really, when you look at it from another angle in our culture, in every culture in some way, shape, or form.
Of course, there's this concept of a gravestone or a gravesite or a tomb. And of course, we'll be getting into an, an amazing tomb discovery at the end of our show today. But this is used in literally every type of culture throughout the whole world in a structured methodology of people being remembered for the rule or what they particularly did in the ancient world and the world today. And it, and it overall ended up structuring a large amount of their practices historically. Now, realistically, here's a thought. If you're going to support that the Constitution says that it should be an illegal thing to have someone be able to publicly share their faith on public property, because perhaps perhaps it's a whole different argument altogether to say that it's a total legal thing, you know, to walk into someone's house and just place crosses all over the place. That's that's a, entirely a different argument. That's not the same argument as you can place religious icons publicly around a city community. But literally, here's a thought. If you want to outlaw the ability to place a cross in the middle of a city, like LA, then you also have to be advocating for the removal and illegality of tombstones. Because tombstones, even for an atheist, are still technically in a, a religious way of remembering something. So if you want to uproot every type of religious aspect from a city and just say you can't publicly display this anymore, as to only be in your own house, then technically you're also advocating for the removal of gravestones because you're advocating that religiosity shouldn't be the statement that remembers people. And of course, obviously no one is going to advocate for that. So exactly why is this group advocating to uproot every single type of religious imagery? And, and of course, just on the mental standpoint of helping people through therapy, as I said before, atheism does not do that efficiently, correctly, or really effectively in any way, shape, or form. At, at, at that point, you just have two confused people being confused instead of allowing full mental health and wellness to actually be approached. Now, from what I can openly recall from my studies at Spring Harbor University, was the ancient Mesopotamians and their rituals relating to the afterlife. And of course this connects back to our idea of tombstones because all of that is religious. Now, in movies and TV today, most people don't actually know this, but we get a lot of ideas communicated in horror movies today from the culture of ancient Mesopotamia. One example is the subject of burial and giving homage to ancestors in their tombs. For the ancient Mesopotamians, their structure was to offer, almost on a monthly degree, milk, honey, and other items that would be consistently sweet and pleasant to the smell and taste to the dead at the graves. And they actually viewed that if they did not do this, and pretty much all the cultures in ancient Assyria viewed it this way in ancient Mesopotamia, that the spirits of the dead relatives would demonically haunt them and could even kill them in order to get revenge for the homage not being brought. So thus we can get some of the earliest ideas of the concept of ghosts from ancient Mesopotamian people groups from Akkadian, Babylon, Assyria, and Samaria. And of course, we get a lot of ghost stories from you know those 
creepy thoughts about, oh, it's so creepy to walk around a graves a gravestone at night or a, you know, a graveyard at night. That that's actually from ancient Mesopotamia, and most people, you know, would get the chills, even an atheist, if they were walking on a tombstone late at night in the middle of nowhere. So that that's just another standpoint where you can't uproot religiosity in a community because at the beginning points of the first century people were religious and that just completely 100% continued now an even better example and I mentioned a whole episode on the concept of Freemasons earlier on when I started the show but this might be one of the most intriguing arguments for the conclusion that people cannot be a governmental body without being a religious body the Freemasons, as stated before, were a large amount of our founding fathers from the United States and can also, uh, when looking at their practices, when they, when looking at their practices, they try their best to simply be in a quote-unquote a simple group of people meeting up, so to speak, similar to the atheist pirates gang. So instead of removing religious icons and signs that the, like the atheist pirates uh, gang does, the Freemasons attempted to uh, still mention rituals, prayers, statements, actions such as bl being blindfolded and walking through rooms while reciting biblical references and historical referencing, and some of it that might not actually be accurate to history, but accurate on, the, on their own terms. They also have grave rituals and practices of honoring dead Masons when they pass away despite stating to be non-religious and simply being a group to better a community. So in this sense, an example, it really isn't possible, as seen by history, for a group to really be remembered. And of course, or, or really be remembered in an atheist group. And of course, the atheist, since atheism itself says that when you die, it's completely the end, it thus removes the need to be remembered in general. And of course, this is why atheist groups in bettering a community kind of fall short because what happens after people in a community are gone? Now, very quickly, we need to get to the discussion of where this apparent group wants to exclaim from the rooftops that removing said illegally placed materials of religious rubbish, quote unquote, is the way to go and why it doesn't make realistic sense. Now, the governor of California hated by the right, but not exactly particularly enjoyed by the people of California either when he was in office. I don't follow politics all the time, so I'm not completely sure if he still is in office. I think something happened with that recently. But he signed a bill in 2019 that actually made it protected to display religious icons like a cross or amulets or in religious households. But honestly, as I said before, I would be... I would completely say that the government has everything completely wrong here. It's a complete misinterpretation, as I stated originally, to interpret, quote, Congress shall make no law respecting religion, unquote, to mean people can't display their faith publicly, especially when the next literal sentence is, or make a law restricting the free exercise thereof, right afterwards. It's meaning to say, one world religious structures that people are forced to follow cannot be enacted. That's what it's talking about. It's not meaning to say nobody is allowed to place a cross on a public road. 
or nobody is allowed to show they practice Judaism by putting a star of David on a random pole in Los Angeles. That's just not what it means at all. But of course it is unfortunately you know, interesting and rather just completely unfortunate of how the most accepted quote-unquote religious aspect that everyone in Los Angeles deems, you know, secularly necessary is the ideas of the occult because those ideas are nothing but evil and everything but harmless. So this is an even worse story. It was picked up by the AP Times and it discusses that a priest uh, later when he would admit that he did in fact sexually assault a boy multiple times. This story is, is it, it, it's, it's a really hard story to talk about so if you're younger just don't listen to this part. He, uh, this priest in fact admitted to sexually assaulting a boy multiple times when he was only between the ages of 10 and 12. And of course it's so heartbreaking to hear about these types of stories. The priest by the name of Virgil Maxi V.M. Wheeler III made a double-minded choice to choose not to partake in the seven-figure settlement deal after learning he would have to register as a sex offender. He later on maintained to transfer the money to a local charity of his choosing and the parents of the victim of the abused pleaded for the local charity to not accept the funds. When, when he says he he walked out of the seven-figure settlement deal after learning he would have to register as a sex offender, that makes no sense at all. If you're doing an action like that, you 100% know what you're doing. You 100% know what will happen if you're caught. You 100% know that. So that's totally not a reason to say why he pulled out of it. Really, the, really the reason why he uh, did a 180 and backed out of that seven-figure settlement deal, of course, is because he's what I would call one of the bad deacons. And he wasn't a priest necessarily. He, he was a priest before, but then he was a deacon. And, and you can often work higher up in the church upon entering the priesthood and doing priesthood for a little bit but he was what I would call one of the bad priests and one of the bad deacons now I can already tell it of course the minute any allegation takes place you must respond to it immediately obviously it's not a matter of well last year this happened or five years ago this might have taken place because of course it would be hard to obtain full details and it's critical to have a full investigation completely about everything that happened or apparently happened in that situation. Now here as we've looked at before on the religious news episodes uh, on this show it's one of those tragic free world cases where the individual has fallen to the most depraved sinful desires that have really ever been in the world to begin with and of course these have always been around really as we've gone over on numerous occasions, nearly and basically every historical empire in history has some form of this. But this again, if I didn't say it the last time, when the Bible says no sinful desire will tempt you except what has come to man, this of course is included. And this is what is fully talked about. You might as well assume of course that Jesus in his truly extremely 
and this is truly heavy, extremely theological material. It's very heavy and hard to study at times. But even though he was God and could not sin in the in you know his godly way, he was of course perfectly God. He still had to experience and overcome the personal human side of life as well. If he was as if he was sinful, even though he wasn't sinful, of course, it, it gets very complicated. And that's why it's most holy. But realistically, whenever you're in a place of authority, there will be times when you could potentially, or at least apparently from a human perspective, end up getting away with such a grievous sense as this. Especially when a proportionate amount of humanity says it's okay. And, of course, the world will end up trying to cover it up by playing the culture card, in a sense. And... Also, yes, people will attack the Catholic Church and say that they're not following the truth because all of them cannot stop from doing sins in this nature. And, and they say they all just do that. And, of course, they're a bunch of horrible hypocrites and deviants all the time. You know, they just can't stop doing it. Well, the reality is, of course, first off, they need to pay attention to, of course, is the main focus of not doing extremely unethical and extremely horrible evil actions like this one. But also, secondly, focus on the fact that you also need to obtain a perfect reputation. Even if no one is around, you have to uphold that godly reputation. A godly reputation is one of the main ways not only that you can be saved and you can truly follow Christ, but that other people can do the same thing. And of course... Whenever someone is a Christian, they will have true dark evil that will try to make you overall fall to any type of evil sin. So you have to know what you're standing for and that you can't stand for this type of thing. And of course, cults separate from the Catholic Church and denounced by the Catholic Church, it's a lot more likely... And it happens all the time that all these cults set apart from the Catholic Church end up having and seeking these types of sexual perversions and they establish them as normal. And obviously, 100%, they should never be normalized. Should never, ever be normalized. And no human being should ever partake in them at all. And of course, every single priest... 100% needs to not follow any type of action in this way. Now let's get to our following stories. Alright, this is a much better and more uplifting story than the previous one from the Jerusalem Post. Jewish, Christian, and Muslim religious leaders held an interfaith march and called for peace, partnership, and justice. So they gathered in the middle of the nation's capital of Jerusalem this past Wednesday in order to demand peaceful tranquility among different religious faiths within the region. Now, of course, from a religious perspective of Revelation, this will happen under the authority of the Antichrist. So if absolute peace does occur all across the world as a result of this, I guess you might assume we're closer to the end times than you think, which realistically you should always be assuming that anyways, and I always tend to say that. And the reality, in fact, is that coexist 
It's really used by evil in order to promote the idea that everything really isn't that important. Everyone has some perspective and it has, you know, it, it simply resides that every single perspective is fine and true. Later on, it will be used in that way by evil as we get closer to the end times. Coexist, of course, will most, it, it, it really will stand as a trivial conclusion that makes every single religion both not worthwhile and also peaceful and also not important. So the real factor here that they're focusing on is people, instead of focusing on people and religiosity, that goes to people because they view religion just as important, then they would ultimately have no choice but to look a little deeper in that argument and flaw and misinterpretation, at least from a political perspective. And I normally don't talk about politics on the show, but uh, due to the fact that religion is deeply centered in culture, uh, I guess I will. Because individuals that are more far left uh, in their thinking do in fact have to ask themselves this important question when it comes to the overall idea pitched by Black Lives Matter movements that you know only Black Lives Matter versus all lives matter. And if only Black Lives Matter in the scenario versus all lives matter are true, then how in the world can they stand for the harmony of all religions to be equally valuable when it comes to coexist? How can they stand for the degree of belief that only one certain race or people group should be talked about in a way, as in, you know, we're oppressed type of way, when there are certain histories that show the impression, the oppression of multiple people groups simply based on religiosity and a race. Of course, you have to look at the whole entire factor. You have to look at every single type of detailed factor. Respect of religion doesn't mean that all religion is pointless. Respect of religion means that every religion has its own respectful tradition. And of course, again, like I continue to say, that doesn't exactly mean that we should respect the occult because the occult is just simply darkness, but it means that we should at least try to come together and further understand each other. Truly, if people of different faiths, of course, disregarding darkness and those deep in darkness that stand for more evil darkness than religion cannot stand together and support each other, it's going to be that much harder to stand together in any other way. So finally, it might finally appear that we, and, and when I say we, I'm referring to the archaeologists, not me personally, as I'm far too prone to sunburn to be able to do this. But this past Thursday, because I guess Thursday is the main day for cool and historical events to happen in the religious world, archaeologists at Cairo at the Great Pyramid in Giza, which is in fact one of the remaining seven wonders of the ancient world, left for tourists and historic fanatics to experience has been determined to be hiding a secret 30-foot by 6-foot hallway that historians might lead to the discovery, or that historians say might lead to the discovery of the tomb of King Khafu's tomb, which is one of the only major kings that has not been found in ancient Egyptian history. The tunnel was re re uh, re revealed by a computer analysis 
for non-invasive technology that can get inside and view the hallway and potential tomb without, of course, actually setting foot there. And in the hallway, the area is perceived to be some 4,500 4, years old. Just an extremely old, extremely old area. It's, of course, much older than that ancient house at your grandma's house, so to speak. The Minister of Egyptian Archaeology openly stated as uh, coronated by the art newspaper in an article, article mentioning the same subject that he believed this was, quote, one of the most important discoveries of this century. However, he mentioned that he was overall happy that the hallway was empty due to the fact that he not only enjoyed participating in he would not have enjoyed in participating in a 4,500-year-old tomb. Now, a couple opinions here. This is truly a monumentous discovery for two reasons, and perhaps other news sources and other researchers have touched on this. Maybe they haven't quite yet, and they probably will. But there's the possibility that this hallway is an example of the ability of the Egyptians to actually fool tomb robbers. Perhaps robbers did this... Uh, Perhaps the Egyptians did this to fool robbers in the fact uh, to actually fool the robbers by the items that were hidden in there. Because there is something to perceive here. There was no treasure in the tombs and in, in this particular hallway that was found. And in all the other hallways where they ultimately ended up finding a tomb, there were a lot of treasures found. So could this potentially mean that this was a way to trick robbers into thinking that there wasn't a continuous chamber behind all the treasure and goods. Because perhaps they stole all those goods, didn't see some sort of secret room left, and of course, thus the secret of King Khafu's tomb was completely hidden. This theory might perhaps rewrite how we thought the Egyptians fooled people when it came to protecting the king's tomb. Perhaps they chose to stage a false treasure trove in a certain area and as a result fully distracted the tomb robbers from the actual side, from the actual prize, which of course ends up being the king's chamber and the golden sarcophagus, obviously. Now, why did the minister mention that he was happy that the hallway was empty? Well, actually back in the year of 1922, exactly nine people did in the end die directly after opening the tomb. And the curse was, of course, inscribed on the tomb walls and on the sarcophagus, and it came directly from the Book of the Dead used to harm and kill anybody who entered, which is actually why Egypt does not have opened tourist to, uh, tourism tours on tombs within the region. Now, as we finish up here, I'm only going to read the ones that sound closest to happening as a result of the curse versus other people that simply died of medical issues that you know most of the Egyptians wouldn't have experienced so I'm gonna try to you know Joe Rogan experience this one and just talk about what sounds as realistic to the culture so the first to die was a man by the name of George Herbert who openly financed the trip and he died as a result of accidentally cutting open an infected mosquito bite after shaving after six months of the trip. So the, the curse is openly directed towards anyone according to mentalfloss.com, which 
I guess sounds like a good source for religious ideologies. I don't really know. It, it kind of sounds like a dentist's office. Anyways, he died from that infection, and he was also reported to be one of the people that touched the sarcophagus, thereby disturbing it, quote-unquote. And local legends actually stated that all of the lights in his house apparently went out, strangely, and, you know, full-blown darkness in his house, which is actually, from history, darkness was one of the ten plagues recorded in Exodus. And of course I'm not saying the Bible is equal to this type of practice, but I'm saying that the magic practices associated with Egypt work off of the biblical account. Meaning that, yes, I do in fact think that Egyptian magic does have some sort of evil attribute to it. And in that sense, the Bible would of course say that as well. It would support that as well from a literal standpoint, since Moses and his God the God of the Bible were ultimately challenging Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt. So the next one sounds somewhat reasonable uh, to happen from the curse. And a person by the name of Hugh Evelyn White, uh, White also most likely helped excavate the tomb, which means he most likely also touched items that were apparently cursed items within the tomb. And yes, cursed items are in fact a thing. He actually sadly ended up taking his own life due to the fact that around 12 of his closest friends on the expedition died one after another. And he apparently wrote, and of course this is extremely dark, this is something that probably listeners who also enjoy listening to crime podcasts and things of that sort would be interested in. But apparently he wrote in his own blood that he had succumbed to the curse that that which forces him to disappear which of course does sound like a rather egyptian phrase from the book of a dead from the book of the dead which of course is truly a rather creepy account another person by the name of sir archibald douglas ride merely x-rayed the mummified sample of the sarcophagus and he got sick the following day and died three days later now the most interesting one that happened that actually is the closest to the cultural representation of how the Egyptians would have discussed an account of a curse was James Henry, who took the lead in the interpretations of the inscriptions on the tomb walls and artifacts. So this man apparently came back home in Egypt to find that his canary had been eaten by a cobra which symbolically stood for an incantation of protection and cursing, uh, uh, incantation of protection of the pharaoh and cursing over people that threatened the pharaoh or the tomb. And his death happened after a future trip from Egypt. So it wasn't right then or right away. But of course, if you're a believer in the magic of Egypt, you can look at it in a, in a way and of an event that due to the fact that the cobra after eating the bird was still chilling and sitting in the cage like it actually was that meant that he would eventually die if he came back to Egypt so this would of course be the most controversial yet one of the most realistic uh, stories about that potential curse as to whether or not the people were affected and that actually does seem like a way that the Egyptians would have interpreted if they wrote about that happening 
to a different people group after they you know planted a curse in the tomb so overall i i do know that curses are real curses are a very real thing it is an occult thing and of course it is very very dark and it is all over egypt it was all over samaria it was all over all of the uh ancient mesopotamian people groups and of course it's simply related to the cult as a whole versus you know just some separate people cultures that do things in their own way they're all ultimately connected to that even though it would appear different to agnostics and that's a quite a heavy subject to end on but we will end there talk to everyone on wednesday for a cult formation episode take care and thanks for listening